0: Thanks, Raul. Now, we're still ironing out a lot of kinks here. This is our first multiple service Sunday, so give the person next to you a hand for coming through this morning. It's great to have you. We're figuring out the systems with volunteers and how that's all going to work now. Um, But it's exciting. We always need more people. So if any of you, of course, want to serve in any place, please feel free to do that. All you need, there's a serve card at the back there. You just fill that in. And uh, put that in the silver bowl, and we'll follow that up in the week, because more services means more manpower or woman power, depending on who you are. Okay, we're missing some men in this thing. That's why that didn't go down. All the the boys' hostel boys aren't here. Eh? Shame, man. It's very sad. Okay, it's very. We had a great first service. In case you're one, was anyone wondering how the first service went? Okay, it went quite well. There were about uh, fifty-five, sixty people there, and uh, and so it's it's fantastic. We uh, we're figuring this thing out. Like I said, um, there's a, an expression which I don't appreciate: uh, "Building this plane as we fly." But that's kind of what we're doing here. So we get to see what's happening and how everything works. Um, I wouldn't have appreciated that when I was going overseas. Now, so yeah, so we're seeing uh, which which service the kids like to come to, which service the veterans of the faith like to come to, and uh, how this is all going to play out. It's really great though, and uh, it's exciting, so it's wonderful to have you here. Um, I don't know if you picked up a theme this morning. I did, in terms of what we were singing and in terms of, that's the very last one, you've given away the plot, no, I'm joking, in terms of what we've sung about and what Raul spoke about. There's been a kind of a theme, which, is, which has been this thing of storms. Even that last song, Cornerstone, getting through storms. How do we get through that? And I'm not sure if God is trying to say something to one or two people in this room, or if there's more people that may be struggling with the sort of thing. Wow, there you go. You're just giving it all away. <laughs> kidding. And I don't know, but you may just be someone who is going through something, and uh, because that's exactly, and we don't, we don't get together, Raul and myself and the worship team, and decide this is the theme we're going to use for the morning. Um, but just the way that it's been orchestrated and we believe God has led it is that things are going in this direction. And so maybe this morning there are, just, there just happened to be a couple of people extra that are going through some tough times and going through some storms. And we sang about the anchor and what a beautiful picture That is an anchor in a storm, how you can be, it can be raging all around you, but you've got something solid that's attached to bedrock, which keeps you stable through everything that you go through. And uh, for those of us that have already put our faith in Christ, well, that's, we know exactly who that foundation and who that bedrock is. But this morning, what I want to do is uh, take a look at that, taking responsibility for your inner world. It comes from Psalm 34. It's about 21 verses, but I'm only going to read 10. I'm not going to go through the whole chapter uh, because we can get what we need to get out of the first part of this, uh, out of the first part. So please read along if you've got some sort of Bible on your iPad or your phone or, or an actual paper Bible. Which I fan- Does anyone have a paper Bible? Just come on. There you go. Nice. Okay, it's good. It's, uh, it's a good thing to have. It's nice to be able to highlight and make notes. Those are things that you can't do as easily with an electronic version. Taking responsibility for your inner world. David, I always appreciate from the Bible. I love... So much of what is written about him and the way that he writes, because I don't think we've got anyone else in the entire Bible who you get so much insight into who they actually were. There is no one, not even Jesus has this much almost devoted to him. I mean, we know that there's the, there's um, one Samuel and two Samuel and Kings, and there's so much written about the life of David. And there's so much written by David in the Psalms. Uh, and, and so you get a really complete picture of who this guy is, but the fantastic thing is that you do not just get the good side of David. You get all the mess, you get all the ugly, you get all the dirty, you get all the shameful, you get all the the disgusting, the stuff that if anyone in their right mind was writing and they knew that it was going to be the Bible, the Word of God, the inspired, breathed Word, they would have left those things out to make David look better. But they didn't. They left them in, and it's great for us because we get to see this is a real person, and this is how we as real people can deal with some of the stuff we need to deal with. Because David's life was, I mean, that for me is the clearest picture. There you go. Uh, that's sort of what I, when, when I think of David, that's kind of what I've got in my head. I don't know about you, but I've got this like rugged, good-looking, because that's what the Bible says. He was good-looking, he was rugged, he was kind of manly, but he was still like a boy. Uh, he wasn't this like Marlboro man. You could light matches off his beard or anything like that. But he was this rugged guy. So that's the picture I have. And this guy went through major battles. If anyone's qualified to write about how to go through a tough time, Believe me, it is David. Uh, he went through a lot of difficult times. Now you say, well, he was a king. He had several wives. You know, how, how tough could his life have been? Well, I mean, you've just answered your own question. But anyway, he was a king. He was a shepherd. But some of the things that he went through, he was completely sidelined as the youngest in his family. That isn't a big deal today as it was back then. Uh, but you, you, would have, you would have received less from your family in terms of inheritance. You would have certainly, in terms of your social status or pecking order in your family, you would have been marginalized. So he was left to look after sheep, and he wasn't even considered when it came to Samuel rocking up and saying, okay, I'm here to anoint the next king. Well, David wasn't even considered. He wasn't in the running. He was out looking after sheep. And not only was he out looking after sheep, which is a low like, I mean, it's like your peasants would do that, you know, like, but here's David, he can do it, so it's fine. Um, David was out doing that, but not only that, but when he comes face to face with Saul and he's about to take on Goliath, he tells Saul, don't worry about it, I've already taken on lions and bears and I've won. And I think, man, what kind of father is this? I mean, here's his dad who knows that he's He's come up against some seriously ferocious animals, and he's come out better. But he still sends him in the field. You know, he's like, yeah, well, well done. Here, carry on looking after sheep. Um, who knows what can happen to this guy? So obviously, there wasn't a massive value placed on David's life. He was the least. He was the youngest. He was the shepherd. And then straight after one of his most significant victories, after slaying the Philistine giant Goliath, nine foot tall. Serious victory. He gets this curveball thrown at him. The guy who asked him to do it suddenly turns around and becomes insanely jealous and rageful and tries his level best, not once or twice, for years to hunt down and kill David. So here's this guy now who's just done a fantastic thing. He's like God's anointed, you know, you're going to be king. And now he's on the run. He's hiding. He's literally living in caves. Uh, he's making his friends with murderers and, and misfits and rejects of society. Those are the people that are flocking to him. Um, try starting your church with some of them. And, uh, and here's he, and he's, and he's trying to do it, and he's getting through. But he's got a rough life. Then he gets through all of that, and the years... Of God's preparation and training to make him king and he eventually takes the throne and he's king for a while And then what happens his son gets the nation together and overthrows him as king And he's on the run in his own kingdom by his own son Who does some seriously damaging stuff while he's on the throne. So here's a guy who understands adversity trial and trouble so he's qualified and I want to say that because what I want to take this morning comes from his life. And he's not someone who's a stranger to these things. What I don't want to do, though, this morning is focus on all the things he did. So I don't want to go into specific exploit or anything like that or some victory or some defeat. What I want to speak about is a little more personal. It's kind of, it's the man, David. So, you know, in the day when he's walking around and doing his thing, he's the king. He's a poet, he's a musician, he's a strategist, he's a warrior, he's a fighter. I mean, he's a lot of things, but he is a serious man. But when he comes home and he can just take off his robe and he can just hop in the shower and he can just soak for a while, And then he can get into his Egyptian cotton sheets and just enjoy a good night's rest. That's who I'm talking about. It's the man. It's the person that that comes home to his wife and gets to play with his kids. It's that guy that actually the Bible does give us some insight into. Because he obviously wasn't writing the Psalms so that we could all read it. He was writing it in a personal space at his little writing desk or wherever he was or on the field watching sheep. And he was just penning these things. And what they were was just him and God, him and God, him and God. It was never meant for us. But we get to glimpse into that and actually take insights out of it, which is absolutely awesome. So this morning, that's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to take a look at David's inner world a little bit based on this psalm. And just to give you some context for Psalm 34, there was a time that, like I said, he was chased out by Saul, and he had to run to his enemies to find, well, to find a safe place to be, because it was safer to be with his enemies than it was to be with his own people, the Israelites. And, um, and he found himself in front of this king. They caught him, and, and uh, they were taking him to the king, and he had to pretend to be insane. He was... Who knows what he was doing, but the Bible says he he went crazy. So he was drooling, spit, dripping from his beard, uh, probably tore his shirt, flailing his arms, you know, pretty much Friday night like at any bus stop here or whatever. No, I'm just kidding. But (laughs) he was going mad. And the purpose was so that they could say, whoa, I don't, okay, just get him out of here. Just get him out of here. I don't care. This is not someone who's some strategist. This is not the next king of Israel. This is nobody. This is a nutcase. Get him out of here. And that's the only way that he escaped. And it was after that, we think, scholars think that it was after that, that he penned this psalm, Psalm 34. And uh, let's take a look at what it says. You ready? Let's pray. <clears throat> Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that it speaks now thousands of years after these words were written by, by David. Lord, you've inspired it, and it speaks to us here this morning in Crawford Net. Father, we pray that we would take everything we can out of it, Lord. And Lord, that, that through every storm, through every trial, through every difficulty, through every tough time, Lord God, that these words that are found in your word would bring us strength and comfort and help us to hold on, Lord God and see the trial through. In the name of Jesus, we ask. Amen. So, let's take a look. I'll just read those 10 verses. You can read along with me. It should be clearer this week than last. The intro to the psalm. David, when he pretended to be insane before Abimelech, who drove him away and he left? And then the psalm begins. I will praise the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. My soul will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. It's a wonderful psalm. And like I say, there, is, there are another 11 verses after that. But for the purposes of this morning, this will be adequate. And, and let's take a look at some things there. And what I want to look at is four things that you can do when you look at this psalm. But now, if you are going through a tough time, and maybe it's helpful just to clarify what that is. Because when I say that, I, I think some people just think the most dramatic thing. But a tough time could be anything. It could be a social tough time. It could be going through a time of just feeling lonely, or feeling unloved. That is possible. It could be a time of finances that just keep promising to come but never quite materialize. It could be a dream that you've had for, for weeks and months and years that does, it's hit a brick wall and it's gone nowhere. And you cannot see a way that this is going to make any progress. It could be some health issue that, that afflicts you or someone that you love or someone that you care about. It could be any of those things and so many more. And you may be in one of those now, and you may not be. But here's the thing. No one knows what a day may bring. We don't know what tomorrow holds. And so maybe you aren't going through a super tough time right now. What I'm going to ask is store this stuff somewhere in your memory bank. Just keep it there. Because you may need it someday. Let's look at four things quickly. And the first is this. Watch how you speak. When you are going through a tough time, this is important. Watch how you speak. Look at what David says. I will praise the Lord at all times. I will constantly speak his praises. Isn't that noble? What a fantastic specimen. I mean, here's this guy who can go through all the tough times. I will praise the Lord. And now I think, well, that's a little unrealistic. Because, I mean... I'm not David, but you know, when tough times come, I could, I could not say that about myself every time, that I'll praise the Lord, I'll constantly speak his praises. But if I just read a couple of chapters further on, I see that David himself didn't do those things. Can I show you? This is what he says. My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. My wounds fester and are loathsome because of my sinful folly. I'm bowed down and brought very low. All day long I go about mourning. My back is filled with searing pain. There is no health in my body. I am feeble and utterly crushed. I groan in anguish of heart. Well, David, I thought you said I'll praise the Lord at all times. But just a little bit later, he's not. But here's the thing. We've got to give David credit. First of all, he's not really complaining. Remember, it's him and God that he's writing to. But the second thing about this that you need to know is when you take a look at that verse, he's not saying, I praise the Lord at all times. I constantly speak his praises. And you see that little word there, will. The writer which is him in that case, is using it in a certain way. He's saying it like this. I will praise the Lord through everything, even though I'm going through, beep, I will worship him. I will. He's determined. He's making a commitment to praise God through what he's going through. So it's not that he's always sunshine and roses, but he's committing himself to praise God with his mouth in all circumstances. We know that the mouth has the power of life and death. I mean, we know because we've experienced that. People have said things to us and something inside of us has died. People have said things to us and something inside of us that didn't even, we didn't know was there has come to life and sprung forth. Because words have power. God himself created using words. Let this, let this, let this. It's good, let this. And God spoke things into being. And life is in the tongue. And so is death. And we need to be incredibly careful about the way that we use our words. Because I do think it is possible to speak death over the promises of God in your life when you are going through a tough time. See, I did this on purpose. Does that bubble remind you of anything? Anything like social media? Because here's the thing. You see, when I'm talking about watching what we say, I'm not just meaning what we physically say with our lips and our tongues. Because sometimes what we say brings life and death, and it's through social media, it's through Facebook. All the kids who are on there are looking up. What? No, it's not me. It brings life and it brings death. We have to be careful about the stuff that we post. Because when you go through a tough time, I cannot be the only person who hates this. Having the worst day, frowny face. No, man. You know what? Grow up. Okay. No one cares. No one cares. If you want someone to care, go speak to someone. Okay, If you're hunting for, for affection from random strangers and acquaintances, then that's not the way to go about it. Okay, So we need to be careful because we say, oh, this is the, the worst day ever, this and this happened. But what you're doing is actually you're opening your mouth and you're speaking life or death over a situation. And we don't want to be people who do that. We need to be people that even when we're going through a really tough time can be like David and say, I will praise the Lord, I will praise the Lord. And I'll make sure that the posts I post... Praise God. And I'll make sure that the comments I make, even just when it's two people so it's not really gossiping, praise God. We need to be people like that. When we go through a tough time, we need to be extremely careful about the things that we say. Because the defeat that you feel comes out in your conversation and it stinks. We need to be careful. Making sense? So if you struggle with what you say when you're in a tough time, make a commitment like David did to praise the Lord at all times and constantly speak His praises. Let's move on. Second thing. Watch how you feel. Our feelings are massively powerful. They determine actually so much of what we do. I would say more so than logic. Our emotions determine what we do, where we go, even what we study, who we get involved with. I mean, it's not many people that will weigh up the pros and cons of a relationship and then make, okay, yes, no, no, I see that they're going to have a steady income. They look like they'll be a 6 out of 10 dad. Uh, you know, we'll do. Okay, I'm going to enter this relationship. Most people make a lot of their life-changing decisions based on emotion, based on how I'm feeling, what I think is going to happen, How is? I think this is going to work out for me. And so because that's true, and we can't really avoid that, we need to be careful about our emotions when we're going through a difficult time. It's natural for us to submit to the way we are feeling when we're not feeling great, to bow down to the way we feel, to allow things to bring us very low, like David said in that second psalm I read. We have to challenge the way that we feel when we feel defeated depressed or overwhelmed. We don't accept it and we do not embrace it. The psalm that we were reading today, this one, Psalm 34, it's verse 4 that says this, I sought the Lord and He answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. So who delivered David from all his fears? It was God. And it's the fears so often that control us and dictate What we do and what we don't do, and what we say and what we don't say. But it was God who delivered him from all his fears. So, psalm after psalm, David challenges his feelings, and he really does. And when we bow down to the way that we feel, we allow ourselves to worry, we magnify the problem. This is important. You see, when you allow yourself to be in that space emotionally, we will all be in that space. But if you allow yourself to dwell in that space, what you do is you put a magnifying glass over your issue. And that becomes the thing that you see when you wake up, when you go to bed, when you speak to someone, when you worship God, when you try and have a a time with Him. But when we focus on the bigness of God, it pushes our feelings of defeat aside. Here's the thing and david again he understood this worship puts your troubles in its rightful space worship puts distance between you and your problem because what it does is it's you're looking at god i'm worshiping god and then when you, the next thing you look your problem's not that big it's not here anymore it's over there and as you worship god it puts him in his rightful place close to you and it puts your problem in perspective and it's over there and with god that thing's going to go away Worship is critical. David worshipped wherever he was. And sometimes it was singing, sometimes it was poetry, sometimes it was writing. Uh, there are, you know, there's not one way to worship God. But today, the most commonly understood way to worship God is through music. And that's okay. So get some. If you don't have some on your phone or on your computer or on a CD or somewhere, get some. Because as you worship God... You put things in their correct perspective. So, I mean, there's another psalm. It's going to appear very small, but don't worry, I'll read it to you. There it is. It's also David. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him. Can you hear it's the same language? It's like... My soul is disturbed and downcast. No, put your faith in God. No, put your faith in God. It's like he's always telling himself, put your faith in God. For I will yet praise him. He ministers to himself all the time. He's commanding his soul to bless God. He's challenging his feelings. I'm not saying that we have to be fake and pretend that we're happy all the time. But it means that we don't allow the way we feel to dictate the way that we live. When you're not doing well, don't settle there. Challenge the condition of your soul like David did. You ready for number three? So firstly, watch what you say. Second, watch how you feel. And then watch where you look. Where do you look when you're feeling defeated and low? What do I mean by that? There's a lot of self-help out there right now okay, Christian and non-Christian. There's a lot of guys who will encourage you to look deep within yourself and find the problem. That isn't always the way things need to go. In fact, I would say very often that's not the way things need to go. You can choose to look inside and you can choose to find the source of something and sometimes you will need to. But, you know, for me, when you look at yourself, it's... I don't know if you found this. I find it a little bit depressing. You know, when all I'm thinking about is me and the next thing I need to do and uh, why haven't I got this and uh, why is this not happening and I've prayed about this thing. And, and when I'm just looking inside, I find that it's actually quite depressing. And I, I did that after school. I remember that because you've got a really long holiday when you matriculate. It's like long and the days turn into weeks, and they turn into months, and then you haven't decided what you're going to study, and, uh, or some of us, <coughs> anyway. And um, you know, and you just end up looking inside the whole time. Oh, I need this, and I need to get a job, and I need what I need to study. I don't know what to study. Where do I get the finances to study? And it's all me, 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 and it's all like, and you're going through a tough time, but you don't know how to look anywhere else besides here. And I've been in the same situation where I've been without work. And again, this was kind of after school as well. And, and you, you're sitting at home and you've put your CV out a little bit. I mean, as much as there's on it, I've got my trick. There you go. That's it. Um, I don't have anything else. Um, and you're trying to look for something that you can do, but there, it, there just isn't anything. No one's getting back to you. No one even phones you. And it's, it's like, oh, it's just depressing because it's me and I'm looking inside. And you know what else isn't helpful? Looking at other people. Because when you look at other people, the first thing you're going to do is realize you don't have what they've got. And so you start comparing yourself to other people. And how did they get into that school? And how did they get that job? I applied there already. How did this happen? How did that happen? Why did this happen for them and not happen for me? You don't want to look inside when you're going through a tough time, and you do not want to look at other people when you're go, going through a tough time, because they've got their own race. You have no idea how they got to where they are right now. How come they can drive that car? How come they can have that job? Or well, you've got no clue what people had to go through to get where they are. And so looking at other people is never a hopeful thing. Don't look in. Don't look at others. Those who look to Him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. Look to God and be radiant. We know this psalm well. I haven't got it up there, but many of you will know it. Psalm 121. I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. That's where I'm looking. I can't look at other people. It's going to be unfair. It's just a distraction for me when I'm going through a tough time. Because they're not. I can't look inside because I can't sort out all my own stuff. And once I fix me, then everything's going to work. But I look up to the hills. Where does my help come from? It's God, God, I need you. You are the one who can help me through the situation that I'm going in. If you're not looking to God, it shows on your face. I want to say something now, so hear this. If you are not going through a good time, a simple thing like how you wear your face can determine if you get through it well or not well. Just that thing, how you wear your face when you're going through a tough time. It can either help you or stunt you in getting through it. With some people, and you will know those people, when they walk in the room, you can tell they're going through a bad time. You can tell straight away. It is all over their face. And you know what? That's exactly the way they like it. Because for those people, they just want people to know, I'm not okay. Are you, no, I'm not okay. Frowny face. <laughs> Ask me questions, dot, dot, dot. Yeah, that's all it is. But you rob yourself just because you do that. People accuse me of not showing enough emotion on my face. In meetings, in church meetings, I was often told that I just have like a, I was called a sphinx. Not a sphincter, a sphinx. And, and it was because my face was, was plain in meetings. And so I would sit through meetings and go, cool, okay, meeting's over. And I'd uh, carry on with my day. But that's just the way that I am. I'm not saying anything about it. I, I'm not Chuck Norris. I've got more than one emotion that I can display on this face. But the, the thing was, I just, I'm, I'm not good at like, wow, that's why I hate opening presents in front of people. It's my worst thing. So if you give me a present, I will wait for you to leave, as is the Japanese custom, okay? Because it is just – because I'm like, I I don't know how – thank you. I really did want this. Is it showing? Because I did. Um, And Sara gave me a pillow once, and I was like, thank you. I'm glad my face can't register what I'm (laughs) – but, you know, and people will say to me weeks later – Wow, I didn't even know you were sick, or I didn't even know this or that, or the next thing, you know, because I, I just, I've got a thing of not showing it on my face, really. Um, but that's just the way that I am. But then you get the extreme of other people, and they like to wear everything on their face. And that isn't a healthy or a helpful thing always either. And when you're going through a tough time, it's not about being fake, it's not about pretending, she's, I'm really hurting inside. Hey, but everything's okay. Look to Him and be radiant. Look to God. Where does my help come from? When your eyes get weary and your neck gets sore and you start looking down again and you start looking at yourself or you look at other people, lift your head. Look to God. That is how we get through tough times. Reflect on the goodness of God and reflect the goodness of God on the outside. You might actually deserve to look bleak, but I can tell you this. It will not help your situation. One bit. Okay, let's move on. Okay, last thing you can take from this psalm. Well, I'm sure there's more things, but the last thing I took from this psalm about taking responsibility for what's going on inside you. Oh, man, I keep forgetting that. Is uh, <laughs> Watch what you eat. Sasha saw this this morning. She says, Dad, how can you eat a Bible? Who would want to eat a Bible? I said, it's, a, it's just a picture for my message, my girl. Um, so anyway... How can you eat a Bible exactly? Watch what you eat. Verse 8 of this that we have just read now, the psalm. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Have you ever noticed that when you're going through a difficult time, your appetite for the things of God decreases? And all of a sudden, it, you know, it used to be okay to go to a service or a prayer connect or, or a, a connect group uh, during the week or whatever it might be. But all of a sudden, you just don't have that list anymore. And you just your energy levels for going out are not the same as they used to be. And when you want to spend time in God's Word, and sometimes it's so rich and dynamic and incredible, and sometimes it's just like newspaper. Uh, when you're going through a tough time, sometimes it's just like, Burgh. and it's just boring. And it's like, I'm not getting anything out of this. And your appetite for the word of God just goes like, and your prayer life just begins to take a dip. And, you know, it it used to be that you were like a a prayer champion. You would pray for like 10 minutes a day. And now, all of a sudden, you've gone down to like two minutes a day. And then you, you find the next thing you look around and you haven't prayed for like a week. And you haven't prayed for two weeks. Because your appetite for the things of God have just waned through your difficult time. I think human nature in this circumstance is very much to see and then taste. Not to taste and then see. We want to first see. When I see God begin to look after me with my finances, then I'm going to start to tithe. Then I'm going to start to give to His work. When I see God can bring me a partner well, then I'm going to honor Him of this. When I see that God can do this for me, when I see that God can do that for me, then I'm going to start to do things. I first want to see, and then we'll talk about tasting. But it doesn't work like that. David says, taste and then see that the Lord is good. You get yourself to church even if you don't feel like it. You push yourself to go to a prayer meeting even if you don't feel like your prayers are doing anything. You press deeper into God's presence when we worship, even if singing and worshiping is the last thing you want to do. You, speak to someone about your faith. Share your faith, even if you just have no desire whatsoever. You see, we first need to taste and see. We first need to do, and then we'll see God. We do something in the natural, God responds in the supernatural. That's what I see in the Word of God. Don't allow anything to rob you of your appetite for the presence and the people of God. Stay connected. I hope this is helpful. And maybe there is just a couple of people here going through a tough time. Let this help you. And when you are going through a tough time later on, watch how we speak, how we look. What we do, watch what we eat. Can we stand?